Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Welcome, friends, to another broadcast in the series called The Power of Love, which was a seminar presented by Dr. Jennings to the good folk of Allen, Texas, a few years back. In this series, Dr. Jennings discusses the origin of sin and the truth about God. What truth is that? Well, basically, it's that God isn't who Satan says he is, and he doesn't act like Satan says he acts. Unfortunately, many today still cling to Satan's distortions concerning God, and Dr. Jennings is doing his best to set the record straight. Today's presentation begins with an event that happened in the desert near the River Jordan when Christ came face to face with the same enemy we battle each and every day. The temptations Satan threw at Jesus are some of the same temptations he tosses in our direction today. That confrontation in the desert should be a real eye-opener to us. Here's Dr. Jennings. Notice the temptations, how they came. And notice what the temptations are tempting him to do. Turn this stone into bread. Save yourself. Jump down. Prove. Exalt yourself. Bow down. Save yourself. Notice the temptations are at the core of our carnal nature, our desire to survive, our desire to save self. Jesus was tempted in in ways that Adam was not. Satan has three primary methods of temptation, and he uses them over and over and over again, and they really come most of the time in a sequence. The first temptations that he approaches most people with are deceptions, lies, deceit, falsehood, confusion. In Eden, he deceived them. He presented lies. Right here, first temptation, he presents as an angel of light, misrepresents scripture, and tries to deceive Jesus. That's the first approach for most people. Second approach that Satan uses of deception right out doesn't work. He tries to use inducements, bribery, um, some, some type of advancement that is illegitimate. He offered Adam and Eve, hey, you'll become like God. You'll exalt yourself. You'll get a higher position. Inducement. And Jesus, prove yourself. Jump down. Uh, bow down. And I will give you all these nations of the world. I'll pay you off really good. And those are the only two temptations Adam and Eve had to face. But Jesus, because of what Adam and Eve did, had to face another one, which we're going to get to in just a moment, but I'll tell you now. This is a third method that Satan uses. If he can't deceive you and he can't bribe you, then he will coerce you. And he will use threat. He will use pain. He will use suffering. He will use rejection. He'll use embarrassment. He'll use some infliction of harm that hurts you in some way to get you to compromise. And of course, that was the crucifixion, bringing pain and suffering. Adam and Eve did not face that temptation. Christ was tempted on levels that Adam and Eve never had to face. And Jesus' temptations, he was tempted in every way just like we are, yet without sin. And each one of us is tempted, notice according to James, when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. See, we don't just face temptation from the external source. We face temptation from our own desires. It says Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are, and we have... Does that mean Jesus was tempted by his humanity, internal to himself? Yes. Look at Gethsemane. 
Did Jesus experience powerful human emotions in Gethsemane? Yes or no? Did those emotions tempt him? And what did the emotions tempt him to do? To save himself. That's the core to the carnal drives. Act in self-interest. And he was tempted in every way just like we are. Yet, when the temptations came, he did not give in to the temptations. He chose not my will, not what I feel like doing. No, I'm going to choose love instead. So the temptation was to save himself. But with each temptation, he says, no one can take my life. I will give it freely. An act of love. So he is countering the drive for survival with the principle of giving the law of love, actively using this principle in the choices he's making as a human being. At the cross, more temptations to save. Notice how Satan piles on the temptation here at the cross. In Matthew 27, 42, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. Save yourself, we'll believe in you. See, there's a little inducement there. He's being coerced with the cross. It's harmful, it's painful, he can't stand it. And here's another one. Hey, we will believe in you if you just save yourself. Imagine the, the depth of temptation. Luke 23, 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Jesus, though, said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Notice he's setting up the antagonistic principles. God's principle of other-centered love. I love you so much. I'll do whatever I have to for your health, for your welfare, for your beneficence. Clearly, it comes down to it. I give my life that you might live versus survival of the fittest, which says, I love myself so much. I'll do whatever I have to to protect and advance myself. And clearly, if it comes down to it, kill you that I might live. This is what Christ is saying here. Those who want to save themselves will actually lose their life. But those who lose their life, surrender, will actually be reconciled to God's kingdom and find eternal life. And Jesus, of course, is doing that in real human experience at the cross. When Jesus refused to use his power to save himself, but instead gave his life freely, he destroyed death, the selfishness which severs the connection of the law of life and brought life and immortality to light. This is what he did. Why did Jesus have to die? Because Adam infected humankind with selfishness and life requires the law of love in order for it to be experienced. That's how it's built. If Christ at any point, as death is approaching Christ, at any point, if Christ uses his power to stop death from taking him, who does he save? That's an act of selfishness. So Satan wins. So he dies not as some payment, some legal thing, but as the way to eradicate the survival drive and restore God's perfect law of love and the humanity he assumed. So the only way to destroy selfishness was by experiencing the temptations to act selfishly, but with his humanity, with the human brain, choosing to love perfectly. Thus, he establishes a new, healed, perfected human character.
Christ restored the law of life into humanity by giving himself freely in love. And Jesus rose again as the inevitable outcome. This is how Jesus, not seeing through the portals of the tomb, not having a vision of future events, could say to his apostles, I'm going and I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise on the third day. Because when you understand design law, you can predict things. Remember, how many can predict what will happen if I let go of this? You can predict it. It's going to fall. Jesus can predict when I restore the law of love and eradicate this survival drive that I inherited from Mary, I will rise again because that's the basis of life. Christ destroyed selfishness, the basis of death. He restored the law of love, the basis of life. His resurrection was the only outcome of the law of of life being restored. Remember, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or bringing life to the soul. So Christ procured the remedy to our sin condition. Notice Hebrews 5, 9, and 10. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What do you mean, once made perfect? Wasn't Jesus always perfect? Not in the Bible definition. No, Jesus was always sinless, sinless. But Bible perfection is not about sinlessness. Bible perfection actually means maturity of character. And God can create sinless beings, Adam and Eve, Lucifer. But character is developed by the choices of the sentient being. God cannot create the character. So once Jesus, as a human being, developed a perfect character, then he became the source of salvation. John 6, 53 and 54, Jesus says to his apostles, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in you. Forever eats the flesh and drinks the blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Flesh and blood? Are we talking cannibalism here? This is an important text for multiple reasons because it disabuses people that there's anything special about the literal blood or the literal flesh. Jesus is not wanting people to be cannibals and drink human blood, or eat human flesh. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol. And the symbols of flesh and blood were transferred to new symbols, which are still symbolic, bread and wine. And if you think about how this works, when you eat a piece of flesh or a piece of bread, it comes into your body, and it's broken down, and those molecules become building blocks to the actual tissues of your body. Jesus is the word, word, truth, made flesh. When we partake of the flesh of Jesus, we're partaking of the words or the truth of God. When we partake of the truths, they come into our mind. They become the building blocks of our ideas, our concepts, our perspectives. And they destroy the lies and win us to trust. And when we are one to trust because we're partaking of the words of truth that destroy the lies, we open the heart. And the Bible says the life is in the blood. And so when we open the heart, we receive the life of Christ. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And we get a new heart and right spirit. We become partakers of the divine nature. Thus, we receive the victorious life of Christ reproduced in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We're transformed in heart and character. So key learning points, sin changes the sinner to be out of harmony with God and his design for life. God's design laws for life could not be changed. So in order to save humankind, we had to be changed, restored to be in harmony with his design laws. Jesus came to accomplish this work, which we could not do. 
while simultaneously revealing truth to destroy lies and win us back to trust. The primary lie, the core root lie, is that God's law functions like human law. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Jennings, for these clearly defined insights into the truth about God and how Satan is trying to lead each one of us astray. We'll pick up right where we left off on our next program. Be sure to tune in. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. By the way, I'd like to invite you to stop by comeandreason.com, where Dr. Jennings and his team have made available many resources to help you on your journey of understanding of these amazing truths. Here you'll find podcasts and videos and books to read and sharing tracks to share, and blogs to enjoy, many ways that Dr. Jennings is trying to communicate to each one of us the truth about God. Because let's face it, this world is filled with lies, and we don't have a lot of resources available to us for truth. Satan makes sure we don't. But Dr. Jennings and his team at Common Reason wants to be one of those resources, and he's made so much wonderful material available to each one of us. That's comeandreason.com. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>